Hey guys, and welcome back to the 19th episode of the Mysterious Bandit Society Read Aloud podcast. Today we're going to read chapters 25 and 26, but first a recap of chapters 23 and 24. So in chapter 23, Sticky returned from the waiting room and was pretty shaken up about it, talking about the mud and it was pretty dark and the smell of it and creepy crawlies. Yeah, no thank you for that. <laughs> um, and then in chapter 24, Rennie had made a plan so Sticky wouldn't get in trouble with Mr. Kern when he went to see him again. And it worked and they had thought that it would get Martina Crow in trouble, but it turns out she was made an executive instead, so that was kind of a backfire plan. Um, by the way, guys, since you can't see the actual physical book, we are now more than halfway through, so thank you if you are still with me for making it this far. Okay, that's the recap, uh, so let's start chapter 25. Chapter 25. Dear Miss Permal, Half a Riddle. That evening, at precisely 10.01, S. Cupidellian knocked on the boys' doors. He knocked first with his feet, by accident, and then with his knuckles. Getting no response, he opened the door and peered in. In the dim room, he saw the boys were lying on their bunks in their pajamas. Something caught his eye, however, and he looked upward. Only shadows on the ceiling. S. Q., is that you? Rennie asked in a sleepy voice. Sorry, boys, S. Q. said, snapping on the light. I didn't think you'd be asleep so early. It's only just lights out now. Mr. Kern wants to see you. Hop up now, both of you, and get dressed. You know, I could have sworn I saw one of your ceiling tiles move. Probably just a shadow, Rennie suggested, fumbling with his trousers and shoes. Or a mouse, said Sticky in a cracked voice. His mouth had gone dry. As he scratched his head. A mouse? Hmm, that's probably it. A lot of students have complained about mice in their ceilings lately. I suppose we'll have to put out some traps. As Rennie made a mental note to tell Kate to look out for mouse traps, SQ ushered them from their room. Both boys were in a state of high alarm. Obviously, Martina convinced Mr. Curtin she hadn't cheated. For else, how else would she made an executive? Thus, Mr. Curtin must know that Sticky had lied. And no doubt, Rennie had been implicated as his accomplice. Which was it should be, Rennie thought miserably. It was his plan that got Sticky into this mess. Twice. At the entrance to the Institute Control Building, SQ stopped. With a sympathetic expression, he knelt down and put a hand on each of their shoulders. I imagine you two are wondering what Mr. Kern wants to speak with you about. Oh, yes, the boys cried together, and Rennie's heart leaped. If he had a moment to prepare, maybe he could think of something to say. Something that... I wish I knew, SQ said, shaking his head. I hope it's nothing bad. Sixty seconds later, the boys were alone with Mr. Curtin in his office. Trying to breathe evenly and most failing, they waited for him to speak. Mr. Curtin had put down his journal and rolled out from behind his desk. But instead of his usual zooming about... He was inching toward them, very, very slowly, contemplating the boys in a way that gave them the impression of a predator. A wolf spider came to mind, seeking just the right moment to pounce upon its prey. They had to fight the urge to recoil. No doubt, said Mr. Curtin as he drew near. You are wondering why Martina Crow was made an executive. After all, according to you, George, she was a bully and a cheat. Isn't that right? Sticky reached for his spectacles, checked himself, and thrust his hands into his pockets to still, to still them. Yes, sir. It's true, Mr. Curtin, said Rennie. We were wondering that. Yes, I know. And now I shall tell you why. Do you remember what you said to me the other day, Renard, when we discussed Miss Contraire? You said the best way of dealing with those you don't trust is to keep them close. I agree with you then, and I agree with you now. Of course, had Martina Crow not been such an excellent candidate for an executive... 
I would have sent her packing at once. But she has always been useful, and as I told George, the cheating itself doesn't trouble me, so long as I understand the situation. At any rate, the situation has been rectified. Miss Crow and I had a brief discussion of the matter. She denied the cheating, and I might add, and ultimately she was promoted. Everything is settled. Everything, that is, except for your situation, Mr. Kern went on, which is why I have sent for you. Our situation, said Rennie. He could hear Sticky trying to swallow. Indeed, said Mr. Kern, for as of this moment, you are both made messengers. The boys were stunned. Here they'd been afraid something terrible was in store for them. Instead, their mission had leaped forward. Messengers at last. Their faces broke into huge grins. Oh, thank you, Sticky cried, hoping he sounded more grateful than relieved. We won't disappoint you, said Rennie. I should hope not, said Mr. Kern. I have two new messenger slots to fill, and as a matter of urgency, I am promoting you a day earlier than planned. Here are your new uniforms. Returning to his desk, Mr. Kern produced two white tunics, two pale blue sashes, and two pairs of striped trousers. Wear them with pride, and then, who knows, one day you may forego those striped pants for solid blue ones, just as Martina Crow did today. When S.Q. had finally left off slapping the boys on the backs, in painful congratulation, and lumbered away down the corridor, Rennie and Sticky exchanged relieved glances and closed their bedroom door behind them. The door's closing revealed the silhouette of Kate Weatherwall pressed flat against the wall behind it. So he switched on her flashlight and whispered in an exasperated tone, "'You didn't even knock!' "'It's our own room,' Sticky replied. "'I'm surprised you didn't hear us in the corridor,' Rennie said. "'S.Q. was patting us on the back so hard my teeth were clacking together.' To tell the truth, Kate said sheepishly, I was asleep until I heard the doorknob turn. I only had time to leap across the room and hide. She jerked her thumb toward the lower bunk, where Siggy's covers and pillows were in a lumpy disarray. And first I had to throw the covers over Constance. You were gone so long. She fell asleep on Siggy's bed. I meant to keep guard, but I guess I nodded off. Some guard, said a groggy voice from beneath the covers. Anyway, Siggy said, we're glad you're here. We have some news. He and Rennie held up their new uniforms. Messengers, Kate exclaimed. I can't believe it. And here we were worried you got in big trouble. Constance sat up rubbing her eyes and squinted at the uniforms. Oh, yes, Rennie said with a laugh. So worried that you both fell asleep? Kate gave him a disapproving look. We were worried, she insisted. And I'm sure Mr. Benedict is too. We told him you've been called to see Mr. Curtin. We should let him know the good news right away. You sent a report? Sticky asked, surprised. Took us forever, Constance said, stretching. Morse code's a little rusty. Rusty was not exactly the word for Constance Morse code, but the boys resisted comment. They were both glad to hear a poet had been sent. They'd been unable to send one the night before. A night crew of helpers had been working on the plaza, filling cracks and replacing broken stones. Sticky climbed up onto the television, made sure the coast was clear, and began flashing a message. Our special privileges begin tomorrow, Rennie told the girls. That's all he told us. "'Nervous?' Kate asked. "'What do you think?' Rennie said. "'I feel like I swallowed a beehive.' "'Here comes the response,' Stiggy said from the window. "'Glad, proud, now pay attention.' "'Sounds like he's about to tell us something important,' Rennie said. "'He went over and peered out the window with Sticky. "'Sure enough, the light in the woods continued flashing its coded message. "'With open eyes, now you may find a place you must exit to enter. "'Where one?' Where one what, Stiggy said, when the message broke off and didn't resume. Why did they stop? Rennie groaned. It's Mr. Curtin, he said, pointing. He's going out into the plaza. Now, Sticky hissed, watching the familiar figure rolling into view below. In the middle of a message? He couldn't have waited twenty more seconds. 
At least we have a start, Rennie said. But a start was all they had, for even after a long discussion, the children were still left stymed. The last unfinished line gave no clue at all, and the first seemed pointless, as it hardly seemed necessary to tell them why they needed to keep their eyes open, which left only the middle line, and that one utterly baffled them. How on earth could you enter a place by exiting it? We'll have to try again tomorrow, Kate said finally, stifling a yawn. I can't think straight any more tonight. At least you boys made the messenger. That's an encouraging development. The others agreed. The meeting adjourned, and in a few minutes the girls had gone disappearing into the ceiling, and the boys had gone to bed. Rennie had just begun to compose a mental letter to Miss Permal when Sticky whispered into the darkness. Rennie, you awake? Wide awake, Rennie replied. I wanted to ask you, does this encouraging development scare the wits out of you as much as it does me? Rennie laughed. It may be the worst encouraging development I've ever experienced. And the bunk below, Sticky laughed too. Their laughter relaxed them the tiniest bit, and that was all it took. In moments, their exhaustion overcame them, and the boys both fell asleep. Okay, that's the conclusion of chapter 25. Let's go on to chapter 26. Chapter 26, The Whisperer. When the knock sounded on the door, Rennie was in the midst of a terrible dream. He had written down his letter to Miss Permal, and Jackson, having found the letters on his desk, was pounding them with his fist. Bang, bang, bang! We've got you, he cried with a wicked laugh. Don't worry, you won't be punished. It's the waiting room for you. What fun you'll have there! And when you've disappeared beneath this sinking mud for good, we'll get your beloved Miss Permal, too. No! What do you mean, no, said Jackson. Isn't this what you've been working for? This was an unexpected response, and Rennie, startled, opened his eyes. Jackson stood in the doorway, staring at Rennie with an expression of wild impatience. I'm sorry, Rennie said, coming fully awake. I was dreaming. What did you say? I said hurry up and get your tuna gone. It's time to take you to Mr. Kern immediately. Today's your big day. Special, special privileges, Renard. Now wake up your skinny bald friend and hustle, will you? I want to get a muffin on the way. Jackson stepped out of the room to wait. When, after considerable shaking, Rennie had roused Sticky, the two of them threw on their messenger uniforms. This is it, Rennie whispered. We have to be on our toes. Sticky nodded. Good luck. They shook hands resolutely. It's about time, Jackson muttered when they came out. Now follow me. He set off in a double time for the cafeteria. It was just before dawn, and no one was astir but a few silent helpers mopping the floors, sweeping walkways and scaling ladders to scrub mildew from the ceilings. In the cafeteria, too, the helpers were already hard at work. Jackson helped himself to a freshly baked blueberry muffin and a glass of cold milk. Better choke something down quick, he said to the boys. You don't want to be in the whisperer with an empty stomach. It's very draining. You'll need all the energy you can get. At this, the first open mention of the whisperer, goosebumps rose on the boys' arms. Their stomachs flipped, too. But dutifully, they reached for muffins and milk, and just as Jackson said, choked them down. Sticky, already losing his nerve, couldn't help trying to stall. What about classes? What do you think all those classes are for, George? I don't see you have you ever made messenger, if that's how dim-witted you are. You'll have plenty of time for classes after your session. The whisperer is what's important, boys. It's the whole reason we're here. After all the secrecy had come before, it was very strange indeed. In fact, it was quite thrilling to be spoken with such candor and trust. They really were messengers at last. Rennie almost had to remind himself that his new position wasn't an honor to be prized. All right, then, swallow and follow, said Jackson, turning on his heel. The boys gulped their milk and hurried after him. Out on the plaza in the gray light of dawn, Jackson ordered them to stand still. If you ever become executives, he said, trying cloths over their eyes, 
Then you'll be allowed to learn the route to the Whispering Gallery. Until then, it's blindfolds and no talking, understand? Now then, round and round you go. He grabbed their shoulders and spun them about until they were so dizzy they stumbled and bumped into each other. Jackson allowed himself a moment to laugh. Then he took them by the elbows and set off. They were marched across the plaza, down a walkway, and finally over a patch of grass. Then came to a sort of scuffling, thumping noise. It sounded like Jackson kicking something out of the way with his boot, and the boys were led inside. They went down a short passage and then up some winding stone steps, and then more winding steps, steps after steps after steps. They must be heading up to the top of the flag tower, Rennie thought. No other place in the Institute could have so many steps. With their leg muscles burning and chests heaving, the boys finally reached the top. Jackson gave them a few good spins, perhaps just for fun of it, and removed their blindfolds. They stood in a bright, narrow stone passage. Before them loomed a great metal door. Jackson pressed the speaker button on the wall. "'Your new messengers are here, sir.' "'Very well,' said Mr. Crane's voice through the speaker. The door slid heavily open. "'What are you waiting for?' Jackson said. He gestured impatiently, mumbling something about numb schools not taking hints, and the boys stepped through the open doorway. The door slid closed behind them. "'Welcome to the Whispering Gallery,' said Mr. Curtin, spinning his wheelchair away from the desk, of which he'd been working on. He beckoned them for it with the crook of his finger. "'Come in, boys, and take a look around.' The Whispering Gallery, though quite large, was furnished only with a single desk, two cushions in the corner, and in the center of the room, a strange contraption, resembling an old-fashioned beauty salon hairdryer. So this was the Whisperer. An oversized metal armchair, with a blue helmet bolted to the seat back, and another helmet, this one red, protruding into empty air behind it. It looked surprisingly simple, no running lights, computer screens, or whirring gizmos, and indeed, concerning its purpose, the entire room seemed simple. Smooth, uniform stone walls, a lack of furniture or decoration, and only a signal window. Kate was right, Rennie thought. There is something important behind the highest window. If you're wondering why the Whispering Gallery is so asture, said Mr. Curtin, the answer is security. You will find no heavy metal objects or sharp devices lying about. Nothing with which my whisperer might be damaged. Nothing to be used as a weapon. The whisperer's computer system and power supply are safely protected by two feet of metal and stone. The walls are solid stone as well. The door through which you enter does only door, and I am the only one who can open it. Control, boys. Control is the key. The whispering gallery is perfectly controlled. I say all this to impress upon you the importance of our project, Mr. Curtin continued. He gestured for them to sit on the cushions. Why else would such security be necessary? It is great honor to be made a messenger, and I hope you will not squander it. No, sir, the boy said together. Here at last is your special privilege, said Mr. Curtin. Only messengers are allowed to help me with my project, and you may be assured it was a marvelous project. Now I'm sure you're wondering what the Whisperer is. Am I right? The boys nodded. Of course I am. My machine cannot help but provoke curiosity. It looks simple, does it not? Only a chair with a helmet. Don't be fooled. The Whisperer is a miraculous invention. My miraculous invention. And it's sophisticated beyond reckoning. Have you ever heard of a machine capable of transmitting thoughts? Of course not. Would you even have thought it possible? Never. And yet it is possible. My Whisperer makes it possible. Mr. Curtin waved elegantly at the contraption behind him, rather like a game show hostess displaying fabulous prizes. It has been fashioned with the human brain as a model. My human brain, in fact, which, as you might suspect, is quite an excellent one. And it is my brain that controls it. No need for keyboards or computer screens, knobs and dials, bells and whistles. The whisperer listens to me. 
for not only is it capable of transmitting thought, but also, to a certain extent, of perceiving thought. And although currently its proper function depends on mind being present and connected, you mean you have to be hooked up to it for it to work? Sticky blurted. Mr. Curtin's wheelchair rolled forward until it connected wheels pressed on the edge of Sticky's cushion. Mr. Curtin's reflective glasses and perverted nose eased towards Sticky's face like a snake testing the air. You are only a child, George, so I do not expect much of you, Mr. Curtin said coolly. But if you are a messenger, you must be way to wear, if something. I do not take kindly to interruption. Sorry, Sticky mumbled, looking down. Good, said Mr. Curtin. And yes, I must be hooked up for it to work for now. It is going to under, it is undergoing modification, you see. For years, I've employed the Whisperer as an educational tool. But greater things are in store. Once my modifications are complete, the Whisperer will become a wondrous healing device, boys. A device capable of curling maladies out of the mind. No, it's perfectly true. I see the surprise on your faces, but I assure you, my invention is destined to bring peace to thousands, perhaps even millions, of troubled souls. And you boys will have played a part. Is it not exciting? As if to demonstrate his excitement, Mr. Curtin shot backward in his wheelchair at breakneck speed, screeching to a stop beside his desk. His entire life must feel like an amusement park ride, when he thought. A moment later, he had shot back over to the boys, with a brown package in his hands. What you are wondering now, Mr. Curtin said, is how messengers play a part. And to answer this, the whisperer requires the assistance of an unsophisticated mind's children's minds, you see. Though my machine is steadily complex, its mental processes still pale in comparison to my own. For the whisperer to do, well, certain things I wish it to do, I will not waste time explaining details you cannot comprehend. My thoughts must first pass through a less sophisticated mind. This is where my messengers come in. Now, do not be daunted, Mr. Curtin went on. It's an easy matter. When you occupy the seat, the whisperer directs you to think certain phrases. It whispers to you, do you see? And when you think these phrases, the whisperer's transmitters do the rest. Your function is that of filter. My thoughts, when they pass through your minds, are more easily processed. Do you understand what I mean by this? They go down easier, Rennie said, like candy rather than medicine. Precisely, said Mr. Curtin, seeming pleased. But the thoughts will be medicine, make no doubt of that. One day they will soon be medicine for countless minds. For now, our project consists of importing data, which is to say we are filing the Whisperer's computer bank with necessary information. So this was the explanation Mr. Curtin gave his messengers. Inputting data. They weren't even told they were actually sending messages, that they themselves were whispering to others. Mr. Curtin had laced his fingers atop the brown package in his lap and was looking at the boys expectantly. With a hint of impatience, he said, And now for your questions. The boys got the distinct feeling that if they didn't have questions, he would be most displeased. Sticky, trying to do his part, cleared his throat and speaked. What? What is that package for? Excellent question, George, cried Mr. Curtin, which clearly meant it was the question he had wanted to be asked. The package is for demonstration purposes. He held up the box. Tell me, how many things do I hold in my hand? One, Sticky replied. Mr. Curtin looked at Rennie. Is that your answer too, Renard? I, I hold one thing in my hand. There must be something inside the box, Rennie thought, but he sensed this was not a time Mr. Curtin wished to be interpressed. Rather, Mr. Curtin wanted, wanted the surprise the boys to demonstration purposes, and so Rennie replied, It certainly looks like one thing. Ha! Huh, Mr. Curtin cried, seeming quite pleased indeed. And yet, observe. He turned the package upside down and outspilled hundreds of tiny pieces of paper. 
One package, yes, but one package may contain many things. Do you see? Now clean up those paper scraps. I despise a messy floor. As the boys scrambled to pick up the paper, Mr. Curtin continued, What do I do if I wish to transmit an enormous amount of information in a short space of time, hmm? Do you think I can sit in my whisperer every minute, every hour of the day, dictating to my messengers? Hardly. There is work to be done, modifications to be made, an institute is to be run, plans to be implanted. And so, how do I accomplish the inputting of all this data? Packaging, boys. I transmit packaging, and every package contains an incredible amount of information. Sticky and Rennie finished cleaning up and sat onto the cushions again. I'm going to say something to you now, said Mr. Curtin. One phrase only, but I want you to pay attention to what happens in your minds when I say it. Are you ready? The boys nodded. Poison apples, poison worms. The boys blinked, startled. For a single moment, an entire lesson, an entire class period of listening to Jilson drone on and on about bad government, had blossomed in their heads. Mr. Curtin was smiling. One package, many thoughts. If you have mastered the material, then the proper phrase will conjure it, like the magic words that coax a genie from the bottle. Do you see? In fact, the boys had understood much more than Mr. Curtin realized. Finally, it all made sense. Mr. Bindict had wondered how the messages could be so simple, and yet of such profound effects. It was one of the things he'd hoped they might find out. Now they knew. Mr. Bindict's receiver was able to detect the package phrases, but not the information contained in them. He could hear the magic words, but he couldn't see the very Ginny. Very well, said Mr. Curtin, when he saw the boys understood. You have been sufficiently briefed, and now the moment of truth. Renard, have a seat in the whisperer. George, you may observe from your cushion. If all goes well, the session should last about half an hour. Then you shall have your turn. Rennie rose and approached the machine. His mouth went pasty and bitter tasting as he recalled Mr. Curtin's saying that the whisperer could perceive thoughts. To a certain extent, he said, but to what extent? How much could it see? Would the whisperer reveal him as a spy? Rennie stopped and stared at the middle chair, and the blue helmet racked with indecision. Should he try to resist somehow? To mask his thoughts? Was it even possible? He had no way of knowing and no time to consider. Renard? Sorry, sir. Just just savoring the moment. With clammy hands, Rennie took a seat in the chair. Mr. Curtin, meanwhile, zipped around to the rear of the whisperer, reversing himself so his back was to Rennie's, as he fitted the red helmet over his own head. The Thaldra Curtin, he barked. Instantly, the blue helmet lowered itself under Rennie's head, contracting to fit snugly against his temples. At the same time, metal cuffs popped out of the armrests and closed over his wrists. Never fear, said Mr. Curtin. The cuffs are only to keep you secure. Please relax. Rennie took a deep breath and tried in vain to stop trembling. After a moment, he realized it was his seat that trembled. The whisperer was pulsing with energy. He closed his eyes. Good, said a voice in his head. It wasn't his own voice. No, it wasn't Mr. Curtin's. It was the whisperer's. Not unkind, but not friendly either. Impossible to describe, it was simply there. Good, it repeated. What is your name? Sticky still wasn't quite sure if he ought to resist a little. How much could the whisperer detect? If he gave an inch, would it take a mile? He was trying to decide how to proceed when the whisperer's voice in his head said, Welcome, Bernard Muldoon. But he hadn't answered. Opening his eyes in surprise, he saw Sticky in his cushion, watching it with intense concern. Rennie tried to concentrate. Of course, this wasn't like talking. He hadn't realized he thought his name, but once you were asked to think of your name, you couldn't not think of it, no matter how hard you tried. Like the whisperer's voice, the answer was simply there. 
Renard Muldoon, what do you fear most? Spiders, Rennie lied, trying to regain some control. Spiders made Rennie nervous, but he wasn't afraid of them. Certainly they were not what he feared most. That was something he didn't want the Whisperer to know. But responding to Rennie's involuntary answer, the Whisperer said, Don't worry, you are not alone. At once, Rennie was filled with an astonishing sense of well-being. He felt so good, so at peace, he could hardly hold his thoughts together. So this was why those other messengers looked so happy, why they craved their sessions so intensely. When you, when you did what it wanted, the Whisperer rewarded you by soothing your fears. Rennie would never have guessed it could feel so wonderful. Rennie had another problem now, a very troubling problem. Having been made to feel so wonderful, and so easily, so unexpectedly, Rennie found he wanted to give in to the Whisperer, wanted it desperately. This was a disturbing development, and while he still had some trace of determination left, before he lost himself entirely, Rennie decided he must learn something if he could. Mr. Curtin, he thought, can you hear me? Let us begin, said the Whisperer. Mr. Curtin, can you hear my thoughts? Let us begin. Mr. Curtin didn't seem to be hearing him, so maybe the Whisperer could only seek out certain things and was incapable of detecting anything else. Rennie had to hope so. Let us begin, the Whisperer repeated with an unmistakable hint of impatience. He could not put it off any longer. Okay, Rennie thought, bracing himself. Okay, I'm ready. When Rennie opened his eyes again, Sticky stood over him, staring at him as if he might be dead. Rennie blinked and stretched. He saw relief in Sticky's eyes. He was fatigued, but pleasantly so as if he had worked hard at something extremely enjoyable task. The cuffs had retracted into the armrest, and Blue Helmet had been lifted from his head, and Mr. Kern was at his desk, making a note in his journal, and speaking quietly into his unseen intercom. "'Are you okay?' Sticky whispered. "'You were in that thing for two hours.' Two hours!' Rennie repeated, amazed. It had seemed like only a few minutes. He remembered the first stream of words entering his mind, remembered dutifully repeating them, his mind relaxing into a feeling of marvelous happiness." There was nothing to fe- at all to fear, nothing at all to worry about. In fact, now that Rennie had thought about it, he was a little cranky. He wanted to slip back into that feeling. He was struck with the pang of bitter jealousy that Sticky was about to take his place in the Whisperer. "'Does it hurt?' Sticky asked. "'Are you all right?' Sticky's worried expression brought Rennie to his senses. "'No, no, don't worry. Just relax. I think... I think we're safe for now. We can talk later.' "'No whispering, boys,' Mr. Curtin called, wheeling over to them. "'I dislike all secrets save my own.' "'Sorry, sir,' said Rennie. "'I was only telling him not to worry, that it doesn't hurt.' Mr. Curtin laughed his screechy laugh. "'Of course it doesn't hurt. It wouldn't be useful if it did. "'To function properly, my whisperers always needed children, and children are adverse to pain. "'I found out through my own experience. "'No, it doesn't hurt, George. Quite the opposite. "'I dare say Renard can assume you that the session went perfectly wonderful.' And as usual, I might add, two hours was far, far longer than I expected. As I have said before, Renard, you have a strong mind. New messengers rarely make it half an hour before their concentration flies apart, and they slip into a daze. Even my seasoned messengers never more last than an hour. Mr. Curtin seemed to tire himself. Perspiration glistened on his forehead, and his lumpy nose was splotched with red. Tired but happy, just like Rennie. I am very pleased, Renard, very pleased indeed. I believe we have more to discuss now, and if George's session goes even half as well as our session, discussion will include him too. Wouldn't you like that, George? Of course you would. Meanwhile, I've sent for some juice. Using the Whisperer Clause for frequent refreshment. Rennie rose shakily from his seat. His mind kept returning to the phrases he'd been compelled to think. 
Brush your teeth and kill the germs. Poison apple will poison worms. The missing aren't missing, they're only departed. And with each phrase came the memory of the pleasure he'd been given and by thinking of it. He wanted to sit back down, go straight into another session. Rennie shook his head. He couldn't believe how strongly the whisperer took hold of you, and also how much it took out of you. He felt so weak he stumbled over to a cushion and collapsed upon it. Stiggy followed and hovered over him, wanting to help somehow, not knowing what to do. Mr. Curtin, meanwhile, had pressed a button on his chair, and the whispering gallery's metal door was sliding open. Jill seen the executive enter with a plastic jug and a plaque and paper cups. Anything else, sir? Jillson eyed the boys with grudging approval. She held the esteem for messengers she didn't have for other students. That will be all, Jillson, Mr. Curtin replied. Jillson went out, and Mr. Curtin poured the juice. Plastic jug and paper cups. No glass. Mr. Curtin was indeed careful. But even they had had a heavy glass bottle, something hard to conk over him with a head with. What then? The whisperer's computer circulacy was safely hidden beneath the stone floor. Its chair and helmets were made out of strong metal. How could they possibly do anything about it? Ready, George, said Mr. Curtin. It was more of a command than a question. Sticky gulped and took his place in the machine. Once again, Mr. Curtin fitted the red helmet over his head and growled, The Thodra Curtin! The blue helmet lowered, the cuffs appeared, and Sticky squeezed his eyes shut. His hands strained unconsciously against the cuffs, wanting to get at his spectacles. He was obviously frightened. Rennie watched from the cushion. Poor Sticky. In a moment, his fear would dissolve, replaced by something wonderful, which is far more troubling than the fear. For how could they work to defeat Mr. Curtin if they had found his invention irresistible? Even now, free of the whisperer's mental grip, Rennie found himself longing for that sensation of perfect security, of not being alone. His thoughts were interrupted by Sticky's nervous voice crying out, Sticky Washington! A pause, then more quietly, Fine, George Washington. The whisperer had asked his name, and Sticky, without realizing, had answered aloud. Apparently, it had preferred Sticky's given name. Rennie watched his friend anxiously clutch the armrest. He wished she could help him, but there was nothing to be done. Next, the whisperer would ask what his greatest fear was, and poor Sticky would be powerless to hide it. He must face the worst, and indeed, it was distinctly quavering voice that Sticky spoke his reply to the whisperer's unspoken question. Not being wanted, Sticky said, not being wanted at all.